Is your contention that Lieutenant Commander Data is not a sentient being and therefore not entitled to all the rights reserved for all life forms within this Federation? Hey everyone, this is Leon of Fiasco and Prologue Projects. On this week's episode of 5 to 4, Devin, Amber, and Dylan are talking about Data v Maddox. This case challenged whether or not Data was a sentient being or property of Starfleet. Commander Data, what are you doing now? I'm taking part in a legal hearing to determine my rights and status. Am I a person or property? And what's at stake? My right to choose. Perhaps my very life. The court ultimately recognized that while Data is in fact a machine, he still had the right to self-determination because this is not 5 to 4, a podcast about how much the Supreme Court sucks. This is original podcast Do Not Steal. And today we're talking about Star Trek, a show about how the future is better, comma, actually. So just a reference to another podcast that exists, <laughs> our, our old standard. Yep, like I said, throwback to season one, baby. We're going back. I love to pretend that we are on other podcasts, um, uh, and I'm sort of surprised. Like, we only ever reference, like, podcasts that we have no chance of getting anyone on, and today we finally have, like, a guest from another podcast on our show, and you've never cold-opened by pretending to be Are we? Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe? Well, yeah, that's because, like, one day I'll, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, one day I'll, we'll be on, and then it's, it's not funny if it's a podcast I'm actually on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything stopping you from doing the bit though if you you know if you wanted <laughs> i just think it would be cool is what i'm saying is it would be extremely uh uh be dope as hell for people to be talking honestly anytime people are talking about me or something i do and i'm not in the room automatically automatically makes me feel like i'm never gonna die which is a, a pretty good feeling that i try to sustain as much as possible I think we, we're, we're going to end up having a lot in common, Dylan. I feel like I've talked to you like <laughs> 10 minutes before this recording started. Um, and with this piece of information, like I, I'm just, I'm not convinced we're not the same person yet. So we're going to see if we can parse that out over the course of recording. All right. Well, I mean, I, I, I may just be clicking into the vibe of the show pretty well. I, I, I am a, I am an off and on listener of uh, original podcast. Do not steal. Thank you. And I lo- love the cut of your jib and uh, the, 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 the two you are, uh, are fucking demented in a very entertaining way that uh, I, I enjoy. <laughs> well, flattery is the quickest way to get back on this podcast and become a recurring guest. So. <laughs> <laughs> my my goal in life is to become uh, the, to become the Diana Moldauer of all the podcasts that I like, uh, where I'm not actually in the cast of the show, but I'm in I'm a special guest star in like three out of four episodes. Uh, so I'm basically on the show. That's my plan. That's my MO. I, I did that on a Star Trek podcast recently. I'm now basically on that show. It's called the Mirror Universe Podcast. I'm recording an episode with them on Friday. Hey, Dylan, I haven't figured out who my guest is going to be for next week's Star Trek episode. Hey, do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, by the way. No, I actually, I actually, I actually can't start uh, inviting myself onto podcasts anymore. Hey, speaking of podcasts, this is one. Um, uh, hi, my name is Amber Autumn, she, her. Prince Devin, he, him, and today on Original Podcast, Do Not Steal a Podcast, where in every week Amber and Autumn and I discuss a certain topic at length and create an original character within that space. Today, we got a guest, Dylan Roth. Introduce yourself to the audience and let them know what is one thing you think is underrated and one thing you think is overrated. 
Hi, I'm Dylan Roth, he, him. My thing that I think is uh, underrated is the Wachowskis film Cloud Atlas. There is exactly one thing wrong with that movie. It's a really big thing that's wrong with it, which is that characters are made up to look as if they're Korean who are not Korean. And that's pretty bad. But that's literally the only thing wrong with it. And that movie is fucking untouchable in every other way. So... Uh, I don't have license to give it a pass, as I am uh, quite white. I'm going to pick that as my underrated. The thing is overrated is Led Zeppelin. Sorry. Really important band. Respect them. Not really into it. I love you. This might be <laughs> the boldest over and underrated. <laughs> this is the hottest one we've ever gotten, possibly. Yeah, uh, the under. <laughs> I'm stand. I'm standing up for a movie where Jim Sturgis is in Yellowface, and I'm shitting on one of the most important and beloved bands in the history of rock music. Uh, I- I'm here to make friends. Fuck immigrant song. You're right. <laughs> I mean, like it's cool. I-, I just I don't know. They're for some people. For some people, that's the Beatles. But I'm a Beatles guy, and I love the you know I love the Beatles catalog. And you know I'm not a Zeppelin guy. That's just me. Listen, no, go off, King. I love it when guests come out swinging. It's a wonderful time. And we don't reach enough people to where you'll get in trouble for it. It's kind of like speaking into into the void, man. It's great. Well, I mean, I have to make a, a rule where, like, I, I did the, I curated Looper's list of the 100 greatest science fiction movies of all time. I, like, I made, like, an agreement with a friend where, like, you know, I, I have to be honest about, like, you're going to keep me honest about this, right? Like, it was an early gig for me on that scale. And I was like, I don't want to feel like i have to try and play to the house like if i'm making this list it should be my list right it's like yeah as a critic your only responsibility is to is to be honest about your reaction to things and so i had to put in writing on a platform where people would see it that i think the cloud atlas is one of the greatest films ever made and throw that big caveat in there i don't think it's cool that people are in yellow face in that movie i think that that's bad I think that on Twitter I've 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 gone off about the Led Zeppelin thing too. But also, who follows me on Twitter? Who gives a shit? Yeah, Twitter sucks noodles. Now that you've officially come out as being anti-racism, um, <laughs> uh, I feel like I can um uh, I, I feel like I can now ask you to um uh, you as a, as a fellow podcaster, I do want to you know introduce the concept of your pod. You we've talked about your podcast a bunch on air before. We've we've done a whole fan episode about your podcast. I know it's one of the coolest things ever to happen to me. Uh, <laughs> it's one. <laughs> it's uh. It, it's extremely fucking flattering. It's also the reason I'm not here to talk about the dark universe, the thing that my podcast is about, because you all have done that quite thoroughly in multiple episodes of your show. We've talked a lot, yeah. <laughs> and all, I mean, and in fairness, so have you. You also spent a lot of time talking about the dark universe. But that's essentially how we know each other, right? Is that you have already done, I think that before Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe launched, you had already done an episode in which you tried to, uh, you came up with a character and talked about the dark universe. Uh, which I think led one one of you to search for podcasts about the Dark Universe, and then there we were. Uh, and then you did another episode about that after our podcast started, and then you did the episode where you specifically pitched a spinoff full of uh, like an interesting cast of characters set in the world that my podcast uh, has been building. So there's, I had to pick something else, <laughs> so I picked Star Trek. No, totally. <laughs> I just I would feel. 
weird if we went into the whole we're gonna talk about star trek soon but i think i would feel weird going into the whole thing if i didn't give you an opportunity to like pitch your podcast first and then um we can talk about star trek here's the pitch uh are you afraid of the dark universe is a creative podcast where my co-host dalton deshane and i uh try to build out a marvel cinematic universe scale mega arc of imaginary movies but we have to treat The Mummy 2017 starring Tom Cruise as our Iron Man. So that movie is still canon and sacrosanct for us, even though we, we both think it's a bad movie. Uh, Dalton's kind of come around on it now, but I think that that's just irony poisoning. It's not good. Not like Cloud Atlas. And <laughs> No one's doing yellow face in The Mummy 2019. <laughs> and so we are actually about to launch our third season, our phase three which uh, means that we have written and performed abbreviated and sometimes not remotely abbreviated screenplays for 13 films. Uh, some of them have a full cast. They all have a complete original score composed by me because uh, I'm addicted to work and not making money. It's two of my favorite things in the world. It's a weird combo, I know, but I can't, I can't, uh, can't help myself. Uh, Dalton and I are really excited about the slate that we have lined up. The season premieres on August. August. The season premieres on October twentieth, uh, and it will be biweekly. Uh, we are scheduled. We have scheduled our episodes through uh, the middle of twenty twenty five. So uh, please uh, check us out. It's a fun time. Uh, Devin has a little cameo in the latest crossover episode. Uh, uh, he was supposed to have a bigger part, but I accidentally wrote out the character. And so now we've kicked that down the road for when that character shows up again. And, uh, thank you. This has been a word from our sponsor. (laughs) Oh, it's also where you can hear promos for this podcast sometimes. Oh yeah. Which, uh, thank you. Oh, happy to, it's a fun thing to get to do. Like we don't, we don't have actual ad reads on the show, but we do like to take breaks. So it's a great time to just anybody who has a cool podcast can send us a 30 to second 30 to 60 second uh, thing, and we, we throw it in there. We have a rotation of them. You guys have been on a couple times. And uh, I don't know. Builds a community. I like it. We, we're we're, we're going to talk about Star Trek today. It's going to be the first of our... Um, we're doing a little Star Trek trilogy um, with uh, the potential to come back for more Star Trek in future because it's kind of just one of those like mega franchises that's so big. There's so many corners of it to explore that it like one episode we really felt wasn't going to be able to... Um, do the franchise justice um, for like the, the the cultural juggernaut that it is, um, and so uh, uh, I I I we as we are recording right now do not know exactly what the subject of this of this Star Trek is going to be. What the you know you watching it probably are seeing some or listening to it or seeing some subtitle that says like Star uh, our Deep Space Nine episode or our you know our, our Vulcan episode or whatever it is that we end up doing here. Um, but we're gonna discover that as we go. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, I expect that it's probably going to be a pretty um, YouTube talking heavy sort of an episode. The, the thing that we sort of like to start with is talking about like what the franchise is and means to each of us individually. Um, and like for me, Star, I'm like a, I would describe myself as a casual Star Trek fan, right? I've seen all of the episodes of the original series, but not recently. I've seen probably around half of the episodes of uh, TNG that exist, but not in any like particular order. I know Deep Space Nine by reputation. I like, you know, I, I, I've lived in culture and in nerd spaces and I'm like aware of things Trek, but I, I, I'm, I'm certainly not like a super fan. I've seen all of the Kelvin timeline movies, so you know, sorry about that. <laughs> You've also sorry, seen Babylon Five, so that's how you've seen Deep Space Nine. 
Oh. That's true. <laughs> have, you, have you all done a Babylon 5 episode yet? Yeah, that's a season builder. <laughs> oh, all right. I mean, they would be. It would be appropriate to be for it to be something that you actually spend a lot of time planning towards, and like there's a bunch of episodes that kind of seed little ideas that are going to be in your Babylon Five episode, and then like in an episode that you're not expecting it, suddenly there's like a big twist regarding the Babylon Five episode, and then you do the Babylon Five episode. Like that would be true to form for the show. That's a pretty good roadmap, and what would also be a really good way of seeding a Babylon Five episode is if we were to have, like, foreshadowing about it, almost like the thing that you just did, giving an exact prediction about what's going to happen. <laughs> but then you get there, and it comes true in a totally different way than you were expecting it to happen, even if the words were literally true. The plan was to have one particular guest fulfill this role in the Babylon 5 episode. But for various reasons, that guest was unavailable, and then the entire plan had to kind of, you had to use the trap door that you built into the plan for the episode, <laughs> which allowed you to bring in a different guest if you had to without, like, overwriting the foreshadowing that you did. Listen, a prophecy that doesn't come true is just a metaphor, baby. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't know anything about Babylon 5 is extremely fucking lost right now. <laughs> Hey, do you guys want to talk about Star Trek and what Star Trek means to you in your lives? Probably starting with Devin, because I think Dylan's got, like, a monologue prepped. <laughs> I'll start the Trek talk. So the thing I learned when we suggested a Star Trek episode is that, like, I'm very aware of Star Trek. I've consumed a lot of it, but it's not, like, a franchise I hold near and dear to my heart. It's very something that gets, like, passed down. Like, my grandma was a Trekkie, ergo my mom became one, ergo Star Trek was a thing I watched with her late at night. And, like, I have takes and thoughts and ideas. I think it's good for the most part, but it's never, like, I don't initiate the Star Trek conversation, but I will react to it and realize as I have the discussion that I care more about Star Trek than I thought I did, and that's kind of where the franchise as a whole sits for me. I do have one funny anecdote about my mom meeting the guy who played Commander Riker once that I will share at some point during the Star Trek trilogy that we're doing. And that's that's set up, baby. When will it get paid off? I, I, I don't know. I, I've definitely heard this story before, and I kind of wonder if you've shared it on the podcast before, in which case it gets paid off um like season one sometime in the past you know because like in the do, past they do do time travel and on star trek so maybe it's the kind of thing where like it's not a thing they would do often like this kind of sounds more like a moffat doctor who type thing where you're foreshadowing something that actually already happened a season ago i think it'd be funny for this whole episode we talk about every major like half century old science fiction franchise except for star trek um, yeah, so, battle... surprise, motherfuckers. We're doing the Red Dwarf episode. <laughs> yeah, I, the re the reboot of Battlestar Galactica turns 20 uh, in December. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, and uh, then we'll come back around to Star Trek later. Do you guys remember the, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy audiobook series? Oh, man. I know of it. I have to admit that that's—, <laughs> that's, that's I, I am around Hitchhiker's Guide and Pratchett—not uh, Pratchett, sorry. Fuck. Well, Adams. also— at the goddess, but also Terry Pratchett. I'm like that. We're like, oh, I've seen and re or read little bits and pieces here and there, but I don't, I don't know a lot about it. Star Trek. We're talking about Star. We're Trek. talking about Star Trek now. Um, well, my thing about Star Trek is that I have been raised in this shit before I can remember. Like, I don't have a memory of my first time watching Star Trek. I have a lot of early fuzzy memories of my first times watching Star Trek, but it was like pre-verbal. 
Like I, I, I think of myself as like fluent through exposure. Um, my parents were into Trek, and that's mostly in the past tense because I got so into Star Trek that my dad like can't stand it anymore. Like he's just not interested in it because I can't go through a day without referring to Star Trek in one way or another. And at some point, he just he he'd fucking had it. So, <laughs> um, now I do Star Trek shit uh, as part of my living. I write articles about. Um, reviews about new series, retrospectives. I got to interview Jonathan Frakes and Michael Doran this year. Uh, I've also, you know, I've I've written my fair share of uh, shitty Star Trek fanfic that you can't find anywhere except for my Google Drive. And uh, I don't know. I just I got a lot of I got a lot of strong opinions, but I also believe that gatekeeping Star Trek is the most anti Star Trek thing you could possibly do. So I am uh, always down to have a uh, a conversation about Star Trek with people who aren't completely fucking obsessed with it. Buddy, let me tell you, we are going to write some more shitty fanfic about Star Trek today. I'm so excited. Like I came in locked and loaded with all of these characters that I've like kind of goofed around with in the past. Now, obviously, I think we want to build one together. The idea isn't for me to come with something stock, right? We're doing this as a team. So um, I'm curious what it is about star trek like you you you've made it this really central pillar of your life um and there's there's a lot of mid-century science fiction out there and you know as you said you bounced off of it um a lot of it you 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 never really latched on to terry pratchett um uh so like uh, is, can you identify anything in particular about star trek because it's such a it's such a big and diverse franchise with so many pieces and so many elements to it um is there anything in particular that draws you to it or that keeps you um, coming back to it. Yeah, I, I think beyond just the sort of feeling of home that I get uh, in, in like either viewing or in some way participating in stories set in the in the Star Trek universe, just from like feeling like I grew up there. The main thing about Star Trek that I think keeps most people coming back is that no matter how much it mutates in terms of its setting, how much it has like a different sets of characters, different time periods, different modes of storytelling, is that there's always this important kernel of like these values that were instilled in it this dream of a future where people can get over themselves and work together to try and solve some of life's most puzzling questions uh it's built on this idea of curiosity being the most important value that you can have uh, and as much as Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, is kind of like a self-mythologizing cult figure in a way that I don't think is very healthy, and I don't think he really lives up to all of the ideals that he espoused, what he would say, the words are great, he would talk about how humanity grows and thrives its best when we're not just like tolerating each other's differences, but like celebrating them. Star Trek is is like, it's got baked into it the idea that everyone on this ship or everyone in this federation or whatever the setting is, they all came from different places and they brought different things to it. And they're not all the same, but they all want the same thing. And that through the pursuit of that thing together, they are able to create a world that deserves it, I guess. Uh, I think there's just a, a beautiful value system baked into it that makes me want to believe in the future. This is the exact feeling I have 
anytime someone talks about Star Trek, I'm like, oh, yeah, Star Trek is beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sometimes it sucks ass. Like like any other thing that's got like a hundred different authors and it's corporately owned and it's been pushed and pulled by various influences, both like financial and cultural. Sometimes it's bad, right? But like it's got this really beautiful heart. And when the stories are true to that heart, and it more often than not, I really think they are. It's something that takes the place of a of like a, a religious faith for me. Like it's not a religion, and it's really ironic to treat it like one because Star Trek stands on organized religion. It is very critical, uh, but it's I feel like a lot of the same values that you're supposed to get from like the more uh, the more benign religious groups uh, I got through Star Trek. Hey, man, I'm a Star Wars fan. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I mean, I, I used to argue that Star Wars wasn't about anything in my in my whole being defensive of Star Trek and being like, oh, man, Star Trek is so much better because that's much like Star Wars has some cool shit baked into it, too. You know, and it, it's it's uh, I it's become more important to me uh, the more I think about it as like a work of anti-imperialism or anti uh, anti-fascism. They're cousins, you know, like. They've both rescued the other from, like, the fucking garbage bin more than once. They're both wonderful franchises that have unfortunately existed long enough to have uh, a long string wherein they just openly shit into your mouth. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they should both end, probably, right? Like, Star Trek is pretty good right now, but sometimes it's just like, it would be okay if it stopped. It would be okay if all of these franchises just said, okay, we're picking a date, we're going to work towards an ending, and then we're going to fucking stop forever. It's done. As someone who has said that about Silent Hill my entire adult life, I hear you, I feel you, I can't sign off on Star Wars ending. I am fully pilled. I want <laughs> I want it forever. And it, well, I, I know Devin, it shouldn't. You're going you're to get your wish because it's never going to stop. <laughs> This is this is my monkey's paw. I'm sorry, everyone. It was me. I'm the. <laughs> we get new Star Wars for like 18 weeks out of the year, but for eight of those weeks, it has to be Ahsoka, which is a show that I should love, and instead, I think is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Amber, I'm the reason this dagger has done terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's the thing: is that you know, I'm sort of on Devin's side about. Like, I love Star Wars, and I would be okay with it going forever. Um, my solution is that I didn't watch Ahsoka. And I'm not going to watch Ahsoka, because I heard it was bad. And so I just, I rewatch 8 sometimes. Oh, and, yeah. And I, and I rewatch 136 sometimes. And someday someone else will make another good Star Wars thing, and I'll get to watch that too, and I can just ignore everything else. Yeah, they can't take away the ones, I mean, like, it could be argued that uh, George Lucas did kind of fuck with the originals in a way, but we never got to get them back until we remembered how to, until we remembered how to pirate stuff. And so now, you know, like I, I do have access to like a, like an unfucked with a new hope if I want to watch it, but it, yeah, that, that shit's not really going anywhere. And I think a nice thing about Star Trek is that everybody has their Star Trek and every generation kind of gets to, to take ownership of their version of it. And they're all, as much as like every new version of Star Trek is rejected by the previous generation, and I mean all of them, it's all happened. Next Generation was initially just like absolutely shat on by the original Star Trek fans, and but now it's the Star Trek show that everyone likes. Like it's considered to be the best one, 
and then you know in this generation discovery was uh loathed for a lot of reasons that were in bad faith and some that were fair like it's not a it's not a perfect show and it's arguably not very good but it is going to be somebody's star trek and that's going to be what gets them into the show and makes them believe in this world and for some people that might be the only one they watch like there's plenty of people who just watch voyager which you know is not a show i think is particularly good but that is home for a lot of people the way that like the enterprise d is home for me and it's cool that that keeps happening and probably will keep happening for fucking ever because uh, remakes and sequels and franchises are the only thing that we're ever going to get from now on. I'm beautifully pivoted back on topic. <laughs> <laughs> I have a dumb bit and then I'm going to focus in on the thing that was actually interesting or like you're more to talk about. But does that mean in two generations when my children are choking on the gas that used to be the great oceans they'll be like uh, fucking fucking under star trek under the bridges is the only true star trek <laughs> fuck you future kids that is exactly what's going to happen it is funny like I i've been reading a lot of x-men comics lately i got marvel unlimited and i've been working through the krakoa era um which is like really cool and fun and exciting and while I've been doing that, I've also been listening to the Cerebro podcast, uh, which is a show where uh, host Connor Goldsmith and friends go through the history of each X-Men character and talk about them in excruciating detail. And I mean, these episodes run for like three hours, and it's about Madeline Pryor. Actually, the Madeline Pryor episode is 10 hours long. But It better be. It's Madeline fucking Pryor. <laughs> There's so much to explain. But the thing is that Connor... For Connor, the X-Men, more than anything, are the Claremont-era characters, but, like, he has a very specific fixation on characters that are, in the grand scheme of X-Men, pretty small, but for his reading of it, everything is about that character. Um, mm. And but, but for Connor's dad, only the original five X-Men, the ones that he grew up with, are really the X-Men to him. You know, I grew up with... Uh, the X-Men 90s show, but to a greater extent, like X-Men Evolution and the Fox movies, right? And then later mm -hmm. I got into the comics. Uh, and for each of us, those are the X-Men. It's like, well, all of them are the X-Men. And all of these interpretations are valid. It's just that when you take a step back and you try to, when you try to be objective, it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's Claremont, Morrison, and now the Hickman era that really kick ass. And a lot of the rest of it is, is just fine. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta worm my. That's another pod I have to worm my way in on, so I can talk about Chamber for six goddamn hours. But the other thing you talked about, <laughs> in, I'm, I'm so down to talk about Chamber for six. You're gonna talk about the Bean Man. But I'm not gonna right talk now. about Chamber. It's gonna be perfect. Not right now. <laughs> not right now. But anyways, you said that. Um, what did What did you say that uh, the Enterprise B was home for you? Could D. You yeah, the one from Next Generation, that? Enterprise D. Um, with Picard's Enterprise is um the one that like. I had the blueprints as a kid. I had this CD-ROM where you could walk around the hallways, narrated by Jonathan Frakes. And, like, that was the one that, I think, for a lot of people was, like, was, like, fairly cozy, right? Like, that ship is, like, a luxury hotel. It's a fucking yacht that sometimes goes into battle. But these characters are all people that, like, you would want to know and look up to. They're not the most interesting people. For the most part, they're not great for a party. For that, you want to go to Deep Space Nine. All the good party people are on Deep Space Nine. When you're there, you're like, this is a future that I want because we did it. <laughs> we saved the world. Uh, it, it, it was hard, but now, generations later, we get to... Uh, 
we get to explore the universe together and kind of already have it figured out. And week after week, they just have to solve these 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 weird problems that are mostly other people's problems. Like part of the structure of Star Trek is that humanity has already figured out whatever the problem is that the alien of the week is dealing with. Because the alien of the week represents us today, right? You're going to a planet where there's like a horrible drug addiction or they're big racists or they have like this blood feud between these two different uh, these two different nations or whatever. It's like, oh, well, those are those are human problems. But the humans on the show don't have human problems. The humans on the show have, like, future human problems, which is like, oops, me and my friend got merged into one person on the transporter pad, or uh, there's a virus on the ship that's making everyone too horny. These are not problems that we have. I mean, you know, some people sometimes are too horny, but not because of a water-based contagion, right? Listen, um, everyone can leave my main alone. I get it, okay? <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's a place where I think a lot of fans like to imagine what they would do on the ship. Like, the big cosplay for Star Trek fans is not usually to be a particular character. It's just to put on the uniform, you know? And like, this is me. This is me in Starfleet. This is the, the vision color that I wear. And this is my job on the ship. And this is like my backstory, but it's not necessarily inventing a new person. It's you. And I think there's not a ton of, like, huge franchises where that's so acceptable to do. Like, if you're if you're doing, um, I, I guess if you're trying to come up with, like, like, Harry Potter, I guess, had this. I guess you can do it in, like, I guess you could do an X-Men thing, right? Where you could be like, oh, I go to the Xavier School and these are my powers. But for Star Trek, it's like it's like the main way that you cosplay Star Trek is that it's you, and I think that's really that's kind of uh, it's kind of neat. It's kind of this this really interesting, uh, clever uh, solution to like one of the big problems with um, like like narrative with telling stories about the world um, is that when you're telling stories, you need like an emotional center to wrap things in, and that comes in the form of like an individual like, character for you to care about, right? And um, so that means that, like, broadly, when we tell stories, um, it, it sort of has to be about, like, individual problems, which makes it very, very difficult to tell a story that's about, like, a structural problem. And so on Star Trek, you get to have, like, the, the Starfleet characters are dealing with individual problems because they're our protagonists and they're the ones we really care about. And, you know, they represent, like, the humans of the future in which there aren't structural problems, uh, you know, according to, like, the, the, the perspective of the show. And they get to visit all of these aliens of the week, and the aliens who represent us are the ones who get to have the structural problems that our characters get to guide them through. So you sort of get to have both the structural problems um, uh, cake while uh, getting to eat it by way of like like central your central characters have their individual emotional problems yeah it is really it's the best of both worlds ha 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 star trek episode title joke it's it's a great format for telling stories and i, I think that sometimes when the when star trek has kind of uh stumbled has been uh when that format gets overcomplicated. it like the the i i I have to eat crow about this because when Discovery started and it was like this season long arc thing that's trying to do prestige television, 
and they're still doing that. Like Discovery is still like ten episode arcs or whatever, and Picard was ten episode arcs. I was like, this has to be how you do it now. We've already done the episode of the week thing. They did it for seven hundred episodes. It's it's the twenty twenties, the twenty tens, or whatever it is. You got to contemporize. You got to you got to blow it up into modern TV. And I was fucking wrong. I'm wrong. I was wrong uh, because then. Uh, Strange New Worlds came out, and, like, to a lesser extent, I think Lower Decks still kind of hits the mark. Uh, and it's like, no, this this thing where, like, you just do these these individual structural problems, social allegories, week to week, that allow you to explore an issue, like, not too deeply, but, like, on enough of a surface level that it gets you having a conversation with the person you watch with about whatever the episode is really about. Like, you can talk about, like— because depending on how subtle the episode or unsubtle the episode is, like you might have different reads as to what you think this episode is trying to talk about. But it should be trying to talk about something, and in that hour, it should be enough for it to take a point of view on that thing that you can agree with or disagree with or, or have a conversation about. And then when you do the, the when you do the, the the ten episode arc thing, and the plots become so huge and so involved, and it gets so difficult to maintain those stakes and balance it with the personal drama, it's it's just it's just not as good at doing what Star Trek does, and it sucks to be wrong. Like I was, I, I think I, I don't know that I've specifically said just straight up I was wrong about this on a recorded platform, but uh, yeah. They had it right in the 90s. Experimentation is great. They've, they've picked it back up right where they left off, and it works again. It works now. And that right there is an original podcast, Don't Steal Exclusive, guys. We're the first one to get it on air, and it's the first one to publish it. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that they're going to be picking this up on, uh, on Slash Film and, uh, and Screen Rant. Uh, Random <laughs> Trekkie. Random Trekkie has uh, a new take. <laughs> Trekman admits was wrong on internet. Honestly, that should be a headline. We're we're a surprisingly stubborn people. <laughs> you were talking earlier about how everybody has their Trek. Um and it, it sounds based on all the things you're saying, like like next generation is your Trek. Am I hearing that? Am I reading that correctly? As like a uh, as like we're talking about that feeling of home about like the place where when I when I imagine Star Trek the first place my mind goes yes is the Next Generation although I do kind of think that Deep Space Nine is a better television show and I love Deep Space Nine to death. <laughs> it feels a little bit strange to be doing this at this point in the episode. At at, at the beginning of most episodes, um, we we start with like a, a brief couple second couple sentence explanations of like what. A franchise is which is like often partly a way to like introduce people who don't know about it to a franchise and i didn't really feel the need to do that with star trek because you know it's it's fucking star trek i think actually in this case um it might be interesting for me to hear from like your words about like the way that you frame in the things that you highlight as important um in your words in a couple of sentences what is star trek the next generation what is it a show about Okay, so this is a big question, and I actually have written down a one-sentence explanation as to what Star Trek is that fits all of the various Star Trek shows. Because The thing oh about God. Star Trek is every show has a slightly different focus. It's set in a different time. It follows a different group of people. But here's the catch-all that I wrote back in 2014 that I think hopefully still applies that I uh, I remember being very proud of, and I just looked it up. Here we go. 
Set in a future where humanity has joined together as one to lead a community of alien planets and cultures, Star Trek is the story of the explorers, diplomats, and scientists who work to peacefully expand their knowledge and understanding of the universe and defend that peace against malevolent forces both within and without. It's, it's difficult because, like, it's not like Batman. Right, <laughs> where he's like, well, who's Batman? What's Batman about? Well, he's a guy who dresses up like a bat, and he uh, fights crime, and that fits pretty much every different definition of Batman. Even though Batman varies as much, if not more, than Star Trek does. Like, take even just like back to back, Greg Rucka's Batman and Grant Morrison's Batman. They're not the same character. It's not the same kinds of stories. Star Trek is, yeah, uh, it's a space opera. It is optimistic, usually, but sometimes it's very cynical about its own optimism. It's about peaceful exploration in science, but sometimes it's a war story. It's a drama, but sometimes it's actually a slapstick comedy. Space travel, it's time travel, it's it's really an, like an anthology of every kind of science fiction that you can do, usually set on a spaceship, but not always. So I can think of a couple different directions to go from here. We also can cut the really long version, considering I gave a really good, succinct version and then went ahead and ruined it by talking for another 60 seconds. <laughs> no, um, uh, I think that you were, uh, many of those seconds were, were adding new information or context or, or deepening the explanation. Obviously, like, it's a, it's a pretty dense single sentence that you've written there. <laughs> I, I think that it seems to me that some of the things that you find are really interesting about the show the 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 vision of the future the format the, the the ability to inspire contemporary conversation with the other people sitting across the table from you is that like that's about yep exactly I, I like the way that it allows you to frame an issue from the outside and look at it from a new perspective you might not have considered so my first instinct upon hearing this um, is to pick is to a say... hot button issue, have a conversation <laughs> about it on air, and then retrofit a character. Almost. I, I listen. I, I think that if you'd replaced Jim Sturgis with a Korean man in the cast <laughs> of Cloud Atlas and change nothing else, that movie would be perfect. That's all I'm saying. That's the hot button issue I've chosen. <laughs> The hot button issue is just OG Klingons, baby. Yay or nay? As, as progressive as Star Trek's reputation is, and the, its, its reputation as a progressive institution is a little bit overblown. Um, because, like, leftists, leftists like myself love to co-opt it as talking as being about a socialist utopia, which it is, but it isn't always about that. And the people who make it didn't always intend it that way. It's always funny when you hear a tidbit about the making of the original series, like how uh, apparently, allegedly, the makeup effect for the Klingons in the first episode where the Klingons appear was just a foundation called Mexican Number Two. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking oops! <laughs> we're all we're all overlooking that. So fucking society, man. So why doesn't Cloud Atlas get a pass? Is what I'm saying. Star Trek <laughs> is get because it's got this great. Cloud Atlas doesn't get a pass. We're not giving it a pass. <laughs> That's not what we're doing here. <laughs> I've found the episode description. <laughs> it seems to me, based on the things that you think are interesting in the show, like the direction to go is to create an alien of the week, right? 
Oh, that would be interesting. So instead of, because like one of the main things, like you think about like using like Star Trek Online and character builders, you start by picking like, oh, what's your favorite like species, like in terms of a design aesthetic or like an ethos, right? But it's, but you're right that if we really want to go at it from a story level, then the idea is to create an issue we want to talk about and then build a character around that. Yeah. Good instinct, Amber. I'm a genius. Everybody loves me. (laughs) Hey, that's true. To be, I mean, like, to be, like, really, truly representative of Star Trek. It has to be an issue that is kind of a hot button, but that we can kind of screw up a little bit in our execution of it. Because one of the things that Star Trek is great at is tackling a really interesting idea or an important issue, but kind of sort of fucking up how they deliver what should be, like, a positive message. Often this has to do with how in the 90s uh, producer Rick Berman wouldn't let them have any explicitly queer characters on the show, but they did a couple clumsy attempts to talk about gay rights and gender stuff, but they always kind of fumbled it because they didn't have anybody in the room who could actually speak to it. And so like results chasing really Amy. varied. Like chasing Amy, except for Kevin Smith has like, like disowned chasing Amy. <laughs> And Star Trek really likes to show off that they, like, hey, look, we did an ca- episode about about someone's uh, uh, sex changing. It's like, yeah, but you didn't talk to anybody who, 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 who's done this about what the implications of any of these weird little microaggressions the episode is throwing at you might do. So I think uh, maybe we should pick an issue that we're all interested in and invested in, but that none of us has any actual right to talk about. <laughs> Okay. Korean um, face. Stop like, it. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I did not mean to turn that back around for it to be about Cloud Atlas. God, I of all the things I expected to talk about in a Star Trek episode, I would have I never would have expected this much Cloud Atlas talk. <laughs> the thing is that no one ever expects this much Cloud Atlas talk. So this may not be hot button enough. Like I, I, like I'm thinking hot button, and right, like obviously the most hot button thing that we could talk about right now is like a trans people. Um, and obviously I'm here to, and I would be really good at coming up with ways where they could realistically fuck up having a trans person on the on the show. Uh, you know, if we want something that truly none of us are experts in, that is a politically loaded topic, that we know that we're all he- that we know that we're all interested in. And that we are very unlikely to actually say something on our real life podcast that will genuinely upset people and get us in trouble. Um, uh, my first instinct is that we should talk uh, about public transit. Oh, um, the thing that we were all talking about before we went live on air today. Okay. All right. That sounds like fun. I don't know. We were all talking about it before, so I already know that we're invested, or at least you and I are. That's listen. I'm I'm into it, Devin. How do you feel about creating a Star Trek episode that's about the value of public transit? That rules, and that sounds like a boring enough sentence to be a Star Trek episode. <laughs> All right, so that, that that's also fun because instead of taking something that's really hot button that already is kind of spicy, and then trying to find a way to uh, like sort of water it down for like a '90s Star Trek episode, we get to pick something that's kind of boring, and we get to dress it up in sci-fi trappings and make it more compelling which is something that Star Trek is also good at doing. Let's think about what we want to say about public transit. There is, um... Uh, I have a woman. question for the group. Yes. 
is Picard gonna judo chop Robert spit like alien Robert Moses in the throat? Oh my god. Okay, we gotta have oh, we have to have a character who's Robert Moses. I think that is like <laughs> I think we start with the villain. I think we start with the Robert Moses thing, and then we want to work on a protagonist character to be like the counter to Robert Moses. Then we can work from there. But I think that's great. Picard, not a big karate chop guy. So I think it's more likely if he's going to get chopped by somebody, if this is next gen, it's going to be Riker or Worf. But Picard will say something truly scathing that really cuts to the heart of the issue and leaves Robert Moses really doubting his whole life. He's going to verbally karate chop Robert Moses, but Worf is just actually going to chuck him off a building or something. Man, remember that time we're fucking... (laughs) 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 Fucking just like barrel drum falls on Worf and his back (laughs) is broken. Yeah, a very obviously like two pound barrel falls off of a thing. (laughs) Uh, If anyone has, just just look into into your, your nearest GIF search. Worf barrel. And uh, enjoy. <laughs> it looked like a fucking prop from your hunter from the future. Let me let me pitch you a premise here for an episode. Um, so uh, you have this um, alien woman who will go on to be our OC probably, but who is as yet unnamed. And um, she is, she lives on a uh, like a like a twin system. You've got like two planets that are orbiting each other. The two planets are both colonized by the same alien people. The, you know, mighty alien name empire spreads across the whole totality of both uh, planets. Um, And you have this young woman who lives on one of these planets, um, and she is in love. um, And her lover lives on the other planets, um, on the other planet. Uh, uh, And this this is a species that has not developed interstellar travel. and, and so, you know, transit between the two planets is, is difficult. You might think that's where our transit uh, 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 metaphor comes in, but it's not. Um, our metaphor comes in with this, uh, this, this strange natural phenomenon where um, at some point, I'm thinking maybe the, the core of each planet, but maybe just on the surface of each planet, there is like, a, like some kind of like a, a wormhole situation or something. There's a, 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 a sci-fi device that allows you instantaneous travel. You step through a gate on one planet and you come out the gate on another planet. Um, and and it's as easy as that and it takes like no maintenance. Um, it's just there. And uh, this woman and her lover could, like they live on opposite planets and they could visit each other all the time. However, the empire of these aliens has established some kind of like tax on the use of this um, gate. They have, they are, they are keeping the gate in some way. Um, uh, that requires a large sacrifice to use it um, in order to to keep people from uh, getting too used to it, or, or or possibly in order to encourage the use of the spaceships between planets, to in- encourage use of the um, uh, the 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 spaceship industry on their worlds. Um, and so uh, all of these problems could be fixed by simply letting people walk through the wormhole, uh, but they can't because uh, the, the 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 government won't let them. I guess. This is my. This is the first set of ideas that came. It came. It ended up sounding pretty libertarian-y, uh, as I was saying it. <laughs> but that's my my first set of concepts for for an episode. Well, I think there's a good jumping off of that. Is I think we. I think this portal idea and this idea of being like very economical and easy, uh, and yet somehow inaccessible. On top of that, I think we should add that there is another 
more annoying, more expensive way to get from A to B uh, that the institution that is controlling transit really wants people to use. They really want people to use this kind of twin space elevator, like a, a road that connects the orbits of the two planets and like orbits along with the planets. So like if you were to actually look at the system from like from like an overhead view, it would look like there's an asteroid belt or something that connects the two planets. Or like, you know, when you draw a solar system, you usually you'll draw you'll draw the orbit. There's literally a line like a, a little slightly oblong circle that connects the orbits of these two planets that that orbit at exactly the same rate. They revolve at exactly the same rate around the sun. And what they want you to do is to basically drive uh, in an individual vehicle along this entire orbit. And even at the incredible speed that they're capable of doing that, like we're talking about a a circumference that's greater than an AU uh, of distance. It's enormous. But that is where the profit is because there are rest stops and there are gas stations uh, and there are tolls. So they want everybody to take these roads when, in fact, there is a cheaper, easier, faster way to do this that is not going to make anybody any money. That is, like, kept either as a secret or purely as, like, a luxury or just allowed to get run down. Somehow we have to create a story that is about trying to advocate for the little portals, which uh, I guess we could call whatever we want, but I, I like, if we call them, there's a there's a Voyager episode where a device like that is called a trajector, and I always thought that sounded kind of cool. So if we want to borrow that for some Trek terminology, so we... This episode is trajector approved. Sweet. We have our heroine, we have our obstacle, and we have the solution to our obstacle, but I guess we have to figure out what's actually what the actual uh do, do we need to i i'm just for the for sure the structure of the show how much how much do we have to actually break the story and figure out how this works i think that's probably enough to know in terms of like what the narrative is i don't really feel a strong like we don't have to write the entire episode um uh, having having a gist is enough and and you know from this point it's more about who our heroine is and i think this is a wonderful moment to refer to our list of chekhov's objects uh, and 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 pick one that seems appealing or juicy or or could give us interesting leads in who she is as a person. A pair of baby shoes never worn. Okay, well, if we want to have this couple separated uh, in a really tragic way, then it could be that there is a child who lives with one of them but can't live with both of them for whatever reason. And so the baby she's never worn don't have to be that the baby is dead or whatever, but it could be that like one of them purchased baby shoes for the baby, but it took so long to get to the baby that the baby has already grown out of those shoes by the time our heroine like arrives with the shoes, which is also That's sad. That's such a good twist on that. On That's that. perfect. Can you tell that I have a young child at home? <laughs> <laughs> And then I think about the passage of time and how fast my son is growing all the time, and it makes me cry. Would you believe that I could not? I could not tell all of that information actually <laughs> from that sentence that you said. 
No, it's it is there's a special kind of tragedy to come with the with lost time, right? And I think that that's something we can play with here. Uh, and I think there's a direct idea. Sure, this also can apply to being stuck on a train or whatever. Like public transit, it's not perfect. Sometimes you get you you get stuck, uh, or a bus doesn't come or whatever. But I, for one, think about all the time, all the hours that I have spent stuck in traffic in my life, and I'm grateful that I don't anymore. And that I live in a walkable area and that when something like something happens, like my entire city being flooded and underwater, uh, I don't have to worry about uh, getting in a car and uh, somehow uh, not hitting any other cars on my way to pick up my kid from daycare. That's so perfect, because the thing I was trying to find while you guys were talking about big picture was like the heart, the thing that really makes this character emotional. And so when I blurted out pair of baby shoes never worn, I was like, oh, it's easy to make something emotional if there's like a baby. Right. But then you found (laughs) but you found the emotional key there that makes it more than just like, oh, they're separated through distance. It's the loss of time. Which not only makes this character, like, gives them a little more something going on to pull at your heartstrings, but it's such a relatable problem. Like, we've all been stuck on the bus for too fucking long. We've all been at work for too goddamn long thinking about other things we could do. That's, like, the number one thing my grandpa talks about in retirement. He was like, yeah, no, I was just thinking about, like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life here. It's, uh, we've, we've connected her main emotional beat to what the story is about in a way that is satisfying for just any audience member. And I'm so satisfied with this. Can I make this so much more upsetting for you? Yes. Um, oh, go ahead. So here... <laughs> um, you know, if, if it's too sad, we don't have to go for it. But I, I think it really works for Star Trek. Um, my pitch, based on all the things that you've said, is that it seems to me... Um, that whatever species of alien we have that she's in, um, they have a lifespan of, like, a week. Like, it's really, really short. Like, this baby is, like, like, maybe hours old. Like, they get, like, they get to visit each other, like, very occasionally, um, uh, her and whoever she's in love with. But, like, they have an extremely finite amount of time, um, and they're, like, spending it saving up for, like, this road that takes... A significant amount of time to travel and so like um the fact that they have so little time makes you feel it more intensely and you know you feel like when you encounter it like your first instinct in this episode is like oh god isn't it horrible that they only have like so long to live and then eventually like the like the conclusion that you get to come to is okay but we all only have so long to live um and and the the key the like the solution to the problem isn't to like isn't like that they need to live longer because they they just don't live longer than that the the solution is to make sure that they can spend their time doing the things um that are most meaningful to them as it is with all of us yeah i like that i star trek is certainly not a stranger to giving uh species improbably short lifespans uh there's the okampa on star trek voyager who have 10 year lifespans and also uh, extremely improbably and impractically give birth exactly once to a single offspring. And since only half of them can give birth, that means that in order to have, uh, in order to maintain 50% of their population, everyone has to have a baby and they would still go extinct. Uh, so I'm not going to overthink the impracticality of how a species that has like a week long or month long or whatever long uh, lifespan 
uh, manages to build a road that goes around their solar system. I, I think that whatever the scale of it is, the fact that it maps to the idea of how much time we spend away from who we love for economical reasons. Like, I have uh, a couple of friends who are in very long-distance relationships right now, and, like, the idea that what keeps them from their partner most of the time is just the incredible expense of seeing each other. I think about the movie, the Andrew Nichol movie, In Time, uh, which I don't remember being a great movie, but they come up with this really great metaphor for wealth, uh, for the idea that time time is money, and in this case, case it's literal. Uh, have either of you seen In Time or heard of it? I have not seen it, but I'm aware of it and its premise. Okay. In case anyone out there has not heard it out there in podcast land, it's a movie starring Justin Timberlake and Amanda Seyfried uh, and a couple other cool people. Uh, oh, I was where... literally going to say, is that the Justin Timberlake movie? Yes. Um, it's a movie where it's the future where everyone stops aging when they hit 30. And from that point on, you have to earn more time in order to keep living. You get paid in time. You pay for the bus fare in time. You buy food with time. And it's all just a struggle to make enough time per day that you can pay for the day ahead of you. And so you don't drop dead because as soon as your clock hits zero, you die. Uh, and most of the characters you follow are people who are paycheck to paycheck in terms of, I got to make sure that I get enough money to live literally today. And then there is a class of people who will live forever because they have so much money that they can never die. It's a really heavy handed. And again, I remember the movie as a whole, not being great, but dang, if I don't think about that all the time. And I think this is a similar kind of metaphor. Classic examples premise being stronger than execution, but yes, I man, you guys are doing great on this episode. I I'm feeling outclassed in contributions. You oh come on now, Devin. It. Devin, say something useful. Ah oh, shit. Uh, uh, I am in a not long distance relationship currently, and it sucks ass because I would like to see the person who makes me happy. More often than I can, but money gets in the way, and capital is bad, and you can carve out tiny spaces for happiness, but if life is just a means to get to the next bit of tiny space of carve out happiness, then you're spending the majority of it being unhappy and on this long fucking road to nowhere when there is just a natural resource in this planet that can make something good. And I feel like I'm just reciting like the beat of this character and then relating it to my own life, so I'm going to pause for a second. No, see, that's good, though. Devin, first of all, let let it out if you gotta gotta this is this is this is good this is where story comes from as you well know it's good shit and i think that you've just hit on an idea that i think is now essential to our premise which is i don't think that the trajector or whatever that connects the two planets is a device i think it is a natural phenomenon it's something in the planet that allows you to travel instantly between them that is being suppressed. So true, bestie. I think I think that it is it's not that someone invented this thing and now you're not allowed to use it. It's that someone discovered this thing, realized that it was going to cost them a lot of money if people started to use it and so is keeping it a secret in order to finance their empire. Our Robert Moses figure, who I guess is getting further away from being Robert Moses, but we can still kind of follow the idea is 
is the person who has built an, the, 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 the largest fortune in this solar system off of this gigantic road that connects the two planets. And the moment someone finds out that you can go into the core of the Earth or whatever uh, and, and instantly appear on the other side, uh, he's not going to be able to make any money anymore. And he's just going to be normal rich at some point instead of having all the money in the world. Uh, and he can't have that. So our character, assuming we still want to follow like a protagonist, someone who's dealing with this, uh, is somebody who I think has to stumble across this truth and then is like fucking on the run from the institutions trying to suppress their knowledge. I think, I think we can keep all the things that we've said about her and also agree that, yes, she stumbles upon this truth and then she is on the run. And, and like, that is the state that we enter her episode in is, is like, she's already found herself a fugitive in this situation when, like, that's what she's spending the limited time she has left doing. Right. And there's an extra tragedy, which is that it might take her the rest of her life to expose the truth, this thing that's going to help other people find the time, spend more time with who they love, but it might use most of the time she has left. So it's like a huge personal sacrifice. This is heartbroken. I, this is heartbreaking. I want to see this episode so bad. This is so good. Now, what we're missing is where the fuck the crew of the Enterprise comes in. <laughs> Somehow they have to help solve this problem. But we, we've done a couple things that kind of limit us in terms of how the enterprise can be involved for one thing we have a self-contained story that kind of works without it uh which is a problem if we want it to also be about our star trek characters uh, there's there was i think a, a, a good rule on in this in the tng writers room but i think it's a good rule for any show which is that an episode cannot be about the guest star the guest star has to reflect something back on one of our characters that's going to be hard because we've come up with a really cool idea about why this is about this character. And the other thing is uh, the Prime Directive, which kind of becomes an obstacle to us. Uh, for those who do not know, the Prime Directive is a rule for the Federation for Starfleet in Star, in Star Trek where they're not allowed to interfere in the internal affairs of other cultures, especially if they do not have warp travel yet. Uh, and we've established that this is like not a not a like spacefaring species, and I think that's important uh, because that would necessarily re make them have to be able to travel a lot faster. So this has to be one of those stories where the Enterprise crew shows up and like goes in disguise to a planet and like infiltrates the planet to like first for like sociological study, and then that like that that's how they meet our lead and help her solve the problem. I guess. Uh, my pitch is that so we've we've already decided this this system has like a really interesting natural phenomenon right and so um you start with the the crew is like they're specifically investigating the phenomenon the first thing that they are interested in here is not the people who are here it's like it's the it's the portal right um and they come here and they're like okay there's people here we have to go in disguise um and so um you have like two separate away teams. I don't know if they get split up or if they go down intentionally in different paths, but one of them um, is there to like um, uh, see how this has sociologically affected the people who are living there. Um, 
And that's, you know, through that process, they discover that people don't know about it and, and why people don't know about it. And then you have the other group who are there to study the physical phenomenon and, like, get the scientific readings about how it's happening. And, you know, through that process, you know, you know, Jordy and Data or whoever it is that you have doing that, um, find this woman who, like, has, find our, our heroine is going to probably be very, very close to it physically, um, because she has recently discovered it, so they can stumble upon her in that way. And so that's a way that we get our, our characters involved. I think one, uh, like, cute thing here is that we can, we can, the Prime Directive can sort of be our solution to the problem, right? You can have a situation where this character is, um, about to solve the problem, and, like, Picard's, like, clever solution is to, like, say that, like, he's in some, he's talking with our, our, our villain character, and he could warn the villain character, um, but he chooses not to do so because, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, it would be a violation of the Prime Directive, even though it's really clear that the reason he's actually doing it is to, um, uh, allow this other woman to reveal this information and possibly change society forever. Um, I haven't quite worked out how to make it, um, about our characters other than I like have how an idea. oh devin has i was hoping devin would so we've presented a bit of internal conflict for picard wherein picard is someone who hates the concept of money there's that episode where those stumble bumble fucks come from the past to the present and the business tycoon in the cowboy hat is like uh -huh. how do i pay with money and picard is like <laughs> money he makes so that he exact would... noise. <laughs> so he would hate this Robert Moses capitalist motherfucker. But also, Picard is someone who believes in the Prime Directive to, like, a detriment. There's that episode with, like, the native guys, and he's like, ooh, do they make a good point? Yeah, but I can't get involved. So there's a lot of internal strife he would deal with here because he would really want to be on the side of social progress, but he knows in his heart the thing he loves, the prime directive and that 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 belief of the Enterprise's mission, kind of get in the way if you help a little too much. So that's why he has to do a Batman at the end and go, I don't have to save you, and then, like, do the do the lip lock thing and throw away the key because he's not going to say something. All right, so I love the idea of this being a um, a story where Picard has to wrestle with Prime Directive stuff, and I really like the idea of him finding this profiteering, like, just, like, gutturally offensive. But I think the story maybe gets more interesting if the, re if the way that our heroine finds out about the portal is that she follows the away team to it. And so she only knows about it because the away team scanned for it. Like, that's why they're here at this planet. And so the dilemma becomes, if she reveals the existence of this thing to the world, they, the Starfleet crew, will have had a hand in, in, in inexorably altering the path of this society. So their rules say they have to stop her. But it's such a revolting idea that they should get in the way of her doing this really great thing that that becomes the dilemma for our characters. She's a, she's gonna be a hero that's gonna like make like an enormous cultural and economical change on this planet. But she shouldn't have found the thing. She couldn't have found it without them. And so they have like this this sort of like duty to undo the damage that they've done 
but to do so is like such a repellent idea. They have to find a way out of doing it. I love this. This is a great episode of television we came up with, good fellas. I had an idea also about a fun character beat. Uh, in these episodes, there's often got to be a character on the crew who doesn't get it, uh, who is wrong. It's usually Worf, uh, <laughs> and who, who kind of has to be a stand-in for the person who is wrong-headed about the issue. And I think there's actually an opportunity here for it to maybe be Data or Geordi, and for us to play a little bit with what Robert Moses' problem was, which is that Robert Moses was so in love with the engineering of cities and roads and so fascinated by like the manufactured ecology of New York that he just more just straight up didn't give a shit about the human beings involved, particularly if they were uh, black people. So he so there I think that it would be useful if there was a character on the ship who was so impressed by this motorway thing that like there's at least a scene where like they comment on like yeah but this is going to destroy this other really cool thing that somebody built like this portal's a naturally occurring thing and it's really useful but this roadway's a feat of engineering like I've never seen it's amazing they built a road that goes around the perimeter of a, the orbit of two planets like do we really want to tear that down do we really want to make that stop working and this is not like a whole episode dilemma like this is a one scene thing where someone has to be like yeah it's just a thing man it is a really cool thing but it's it's just a thing and, and we've got to be willing to put the people ahead of how cool you think this is. That's got to be Jordy. I think it has to be Jordy. It's, it's got to be Jordy. That's a Jordy bit. Alternatively, it could be Data because time doesn't mean the same thing to him as it does to other people. But I think that for Jordy being like this huge nerd about technology, for him to like geek out about it and then have to have somebody who maybe this is where maybe like Crusher could like talk about like, you know, her husband used to be gone for, you know, months at a time on these missions on the Stargazer and they lost so much time and then he was dead. Yeah, starships are amazing. Uh, but if you could travel instantaneously on these missions, you know, maybe I could have spent, maybe my, maybe my, my, my husband and my son could have spent some more time together before he perished on some away mission. There's a lot of angles here I feel like we could explore. I feel great about uh, uh, this episode and the, the, the plot that we've worked out here. I think it makes a lot of sense that while you're here, we've ended up with a very um, a plot forward episode. I think before we before we do our final bits, I want to just get a little bit more about who this character is. And, you know, I like like we've often said between Devin and I that I'm a very like high concept top down sort of a, a, a character creator. Um, I work with like theme and plot first and Devin starts with like characterization and then works up. Um, uh, and so I, I think I, I do want to turn to Devin and say like, okay, we have all this plot, but in terms of our heroine, what do we need for her to feel like a complete person to you? Mm, we're trying to find that classic vibe. I'm trying to find a fun way around saying sort of every woman-ish without that being 
boring. I think I like the idea that the reason she finds the portal is because of Star Trek, the fleet. But I don't want that to be like, oh, I fell ass backwards. I think we're dealing with someone who is quizzical, someone who is like thinking about social issues, right? It is not just like, oh, the time I spent on this thing sucks, but thinking about what that means systemically. And so it is not by complete happenstance that Star Trek shows her the thing. She's kind of someone who was already looking for a solution. And like when Star Trek came, when the Enterprise came, she was like, okay, these people have a big technology. If I stick around them, I can figure it out. Yeah, I think this is someone who if had the free time, would be planning, like, I'm looking for the word for protests when you gather a bunch of, when you do a collective action. She's someone who's thinking about stuff like that. I think that does kind of immediately explain why her, like, first instinct is, I'm gonna show everyone what's going on, right? Right, because there might be an instinct for someone, like, for instance, if you were a capitalist, to be like, oh, I'm going to figure out how to make a fortune off of this. But her instinct is to be like, the world needs to know about this because it would change everything. So I do like the idea of it. Maybe maybe her deal is that she is, um, she's already on the trail of this thing, mm-hmm. which is maybe a way that, like, Picard and company can kind of, like, excuse themselves for not getting in the way when she tries to expose it. Like, she is either some maybe some kind of journalist or some kind of scientist. We love scientists on Star Trek. And she's, like, been investigating this weird phenomenon where, like, some really, some really wealthy individual was seen on one planet one day and then seen caught on video on the other planet, like, two days later when it should take way longer to get there. Or, like, maybe the time doesn't work out if we're going with the week-long lifespan thing. But, like... And she's like, but like an hour later, yeah. like I figured out like there's clearly there's something in this area, all the surveillance footage or social or they have social media or whatever. They're like, he was here and then he was there somewhere in this part of town. And then somewhere on the other planet, like got caught on tape. People weren't supposed to see it. Something around here is responsible for that. And like she's on the case. Uh, yeah. And then she sees these weird, suspicious guys who who don't belong. Like they've got like obviously they'll be wearing like their camouflage, like their surgically altered faces to look like whatever bumpy headed forehead we decide to give these people. But she's she's on the case. She sees them suspicious. She follows them, and that's how she finds the portal. What kind of bumpy looking forehead do we want to give these people? I always like when they end up with some kind of spots. Could we do like a sort of plant? motif like some sort of flower to note the short lifespan Ooh, i like that um maybe we can listen i feel like we should probably limit ourselves to the kinds of stuff they could have done in the 90s so but like I think the that's very gremlin from gremlins 2 the new yes batch. well i i think um there's a habit on in 90s trek i'm not saying it's a good thing but this is definitely a phenomenon on the show when the alien, when the main alien of the week character is played by a male actor, they get a lot of big lumpy stuff on their heads, on their face to conceal their face and make them look weird and alien. And when it's a female lead character, they get minimal makeup and just like pretty stuff to make them look pretty. Because obviously, uh, if obviously if we're gonna have a female guest star, she's got to be pretty, and we can't hide that. So I think we either. Uh, we either go with that and be like 
or we decide to buck against that trend and we put a bunch of crazy crap on her face. I want to put some crazy crap on her face. I, 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 I think I, I, you know, I'm often here for understanding the assignment and I also am often here for subverting expectations. And I think, um, uh, in this particular instance, I totally, I think that they often put women in minimal makeup. And I also can totally imagine the Trek episode in which they don't do that, in which they put a bunch of crazy shit on our face. Um, uh, you know, the Klingons get it too. So I think we can, we can put a bunch of weird spots and flowers on our, on our alien lady's face. Yeah, I, I liked, like when Devin was, Devin, when you were explaining the idea, like I, the first thing that came to mind was the idea of like this person's faith, face being like wreathed in flowers that like gradually, you're talking about denoting the idea of their short lifespans. Like I, I like the idea of them being born with like sort of like a bulb and like the flower blooms exactly each flower on, on their head, like blooms exactly once over the course of their lifespan and then wilts like the fucking flower and the beauty and the beast or like, you know, Bulbasaur. <laughs> and then we get to show some progression in that over the course of the episode. Right. Because, because this episode is going to take place over the course of most of her life. Yes. So what if we get to kind of have our cake and eat it too? And like, there's a period of time in her lifespan where she gets to do the whole like, like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm the beautiful guest star, and like, I'm, I'm covered- poison ivy right now. Yes, and but then as she's wilting, we get to do more stuff. But like, oh no, as you, as you, you're gonna watch her get old, and you're gonna watch the flowers get less pretty and get like more kind of wrinkled and stuff, and that's gonna really hammer home the urgency of this. I feel so good about this character what should we name her this is because i've been reading so much x-men the, the the name lorna immediately comes to mind but that's also because like it seems like the kind of thing where it's like it could be it's a human name but it's not a super common human name but yeah we can just i just feel like it's not that's gonna be like an an uh a, an anticlimactic like episode title if it's just lorna Lorna the Truth Teller, Star Trek Next Generation. I'm I'm so used to like original series episode titles. So like like I'm like, oh, like that's not going to affect the the title of the they the title of the episode is going to be like and forever forward into ruthless oblivion or some shit, right? Like that's the that's what all the epi- the TOS episode okay, names are but like. But I also love and forever forward into ruthless oblivion as the name of this episode. <laughs> They didn't do that a lot on Next Gen, having like the full sent the full the full um epi- the full sentence episode title stuff. They're doing it on Strange New Worlds again, which is kind of fun. They have like an episode. They're bringing it back on Strange New Worlds as a phenomenon, but they have they didn't used to do it on TNG. They did it a couple times. Like there's an episode that's like when the bow br- when the bow breaks, where silence has lease. You know, like so. I think it's I think it's in bounds for us to, to for us to do like a, a long flowery title like that. <laughs> flowery title. My only idea for a title was there and never again because you don't have enough time to go back. I actually love that. And I That's actually so good and we absolutely have to. I think it's really good and I think it's more TNG. It's I think that's better than the example I came up with as an off the cuff example of a title that TNG wouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> well, fellas, is it time for I ship it or have we I already think it is. All right, let's go into Pause for the stinger. What the f***? In Yowie art, the semi, or top, is usually dominating the UK, or bottom. 
It was fun. Their relationship is cute. Damn it. I ship that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to I Ship at the part of the show wherein we talk about a character's sexual identity, sexual awakening, sexual being, and also who we feel like the fandom at large would ship our character with. Who's doing a smooch? How are they doing a smooch? Is it tender? Is it hard? Is it soft? Well, you, you'll find out. You'll find out now. Will we, will we talk about it on the podcast? So obviously we know that this character is already in love with someone. And yeah, I guess like the, the question on the table is, um, what does loving someone mean or look like when you have a week to live? What you could maybe do is the idea that this is, we're playing with the long distance relationship thing. Maybe this is someone who uh, met, who fell in love with someone through, you know, like online or whatever, because that that should exist in this universe. Um, but but live on the other, but they live on the other side of the planet. Or they live on the other planet. They get like two opportunities over the course of their life to see each other. If we're sticking with the baby shoes, then the first time, uh, somebody got uh, pregnant and gave birth to a baby, which probably would be a gestation period of like six hours. And this is like the second time that they'd be back, which is this the one chance to meet the kid. I think the men get pregnant like seahorses, and that's why Lorna can't immediately see the baby. I also think the way in which Lorna loves is very... I'm going to inject some of myself into this fucking character right now, fellas. I think Lorna is someone who throws their entire being into a relationship way too fast. But you kind of get why they do it way too fast, because their lifespan isn't all that big. So it's less unhealthy than when I do it. <laughs> I think that's perfect. I, I think that if there's even room in our 48 minutes or whatever of this episode, there should be a point where Lorna gets, like, sort of caught up in the idea. It's like she gets, like, scooped up by the Enterprise, right? And mm -hmm. and then, like, develops feelings very quickly for someone on the ship that's very confusing for her because she is very dedicated to the idea of, you know, getting to find her partner and her child. But also... She's been on this ship for what is now about, like, 20% of her life. She's now known whoever it is, whether it'll be, like, Riker or Beverly or whoever, um, our, usual, our usual love interest, our, our, our usual characters on the show who get romance plots. It's not that weird when you put it into the context of, for her, how long she's known them. Actually, kind of a while. And it's been a really, really long time since she got to see the person that she was originally going to go see, and she might never have time to. Oh, I, man, every... So, like, fucking words coming out of my mouth will be better now. Every time we've added a bit to this character, I've been like, that's solid. No notes. I just This has all just been coming together so well, fellas. We're riffing. This is jazz, man. Like, if, if we have a moment where she is, like, into someone um, uh, on the ship or otherwise, um, we, we, we were talking earlier about the ways that, like, like female aliens on Trek often get, like, sexualized, right? They, they get to show off as a pretty lady, um, but our character is going to end up with more and more stuff on her face. And so I think leaning into that idea, I think at some point she does try to fuck somebody, um, and it, like, is... Like, not sexy at all. Like, maybe it's even, like, an off-screen, like, joke thing where, uh, like, her body does something uh, and, and some character is like, whoa, I've never seen that before. Not exactly what I was expecting. 
um, like hopefully, you know, you find a way to make it like a, like a, they're not judging her for it. Um, well, uh, but you do yeah. make it like a, oh, they're not actually interested in this at all now that they know what it is. That's kind of a perfect, I feels like a perfect Riker bit because that, you know that yeah, Riker right? would be a gentleman about it. Like his default, his default position is, is like ethical slut, right? Where yeah. He's like, <laughs> yeah. he's always down. He's never pushy, but like, he'd also be like, he'd be willing to express interest or disinterest in a way that would not be hurtful. But, or at least wouldn't be intended to be hurtful. Obviously, her feelings could be hurt. She has that right. But it's, I think that that's a good use of Riker. We, you know, we have like a lot of good stuff for a lot of characters. Like we have something for Jordy to do. We have something for Picard to do. We have something um, for Riker to do. We have something for Beverly to do. Yeah, uh, I'm, 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 I'm really happy with how this is turning out. This is an economic OC. This is. <laughs> Well, it's not that. It's like a, it's like a ninety-minute episode. So, um. well, I mean, the, the 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 effect of the the cool road around the the planet is really neat and probably really expensive. So, like a mid-season two-parter might be a good fit for this. Like Voyager used to do those more often, and I can picture the special effect in a much more Voyager sort of like uh, visual effects style. They back when they had Foundation the. Uh, the VFX team from from Battle uh, from from Babylon Five doing their shit. This like it feels like a very Voyager idea, but we'd have to do it with miniatures, so it'd be like really really expensive. I want to talk uh, one fun fact a piece. Any objections? My fun fact is that she is played by, and I'm probably going to be pronouncing this name wrong, uh, Wendy Malick. Of the Owl House fame, played Ida, was in Just Shoot Me and Hot in Cleveland. That's the actress I am attaching to this character. Just one of those, one of those uh, character actors who's like not, oh. like not especially famous at the time, and then like thirty years later, it's like a fun fact that the Owl House lady was like on an episode of TNG. She would do a great Star Trek. She would. She'd do a great Star Trek. Great pick. Thank you. Um, I think that um, what part of her cool alien design um, uh, is that she has uh, four arms, um, but obviously uh, that's very difficult and complicated to film. And so they just kind of have like a couple of prop arms that like I like in any given scene, either there's like someone standing behind her being a second set of arms if they can make it look good or they have like a couple of prop arms that are like sitting in her pockets or whatever. Um, and it kind of doesn't look great. Um, but you could clearly tell they just like wanted to do something different with the visual uh, stylings this episode. My fun fact is that uh, for the first couple days of shooting, they had a costume that was made with live flowers. Uh, and then they very quickly realized that it was not going to last under the lights. And so there's a lot of filming inconsistencies throughout the episode as they continually replace the the flowers in the costume, first with other backup real flowers and then eventually with synthetics. Uh, and fans have a drinking game when they watch the episode that every time the flower changes in the middle of a scene, you do a shot. Oh, what a commentary track fun fact. I love that. Well, unless I'm not very much mistaken, um, that's Lorna, and that has been an episode of Original Podcast Do Not Steal. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, my name has been Amber Autumn, she, her. I've been Prince Devin, he, him. I've been Dylan Roth, he, him. Um, thank you so much for being on, Dylan. You have been a really incredible guest. You've been really, really um, 
uh, you've taken our shit and ran with it. Um, and and um, I, you know, I, I've 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 now known you just long enough to be like, man, um, uh, you would do really well as a podcast host. If you had a <laughs> podcast, I would go listen to it. I thank you so much. First of all, uh, I was really fun, riffing, really fun riffing with you too. And I I I I do listen. Like I said, I listen to the show. Um, I'm not I'm not like an every week listener because I'm really bad at podcasts. But I I really enjoy the way the two of you play off each other as storytellers. I really love the sort of uh, the the sort of jazz of uh, coming up with a story break like that with and that's like some of what my show is. Uh, that's kind of what the original conception of Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe was? Is that Dalton and I, my co-host, would sit down with uh, with an idea of okay, we're going to do a Wolfman movie. And it has to fit into this continuity, and what are we going to do with it? And one person would come home with an idea, and then we would riff on it. And then what ended up happening is that uh, I got really excited and wrote like a forty-page strip scriptment for the Wolfman instead, and we read it and performed the scenes as characters, and then just did notes on that. And then that became doing sixty-page screenplays, and then that became doing a hundred and sixty-page screenplays. So. Uh, really what I'm trying to say is, uh, your show is, uh, a, a probably better version of what we do. <laughs> Our show is a better version of the thing that you originally conceived of. Your show is a better version of the show that you do. I'll take that. Thank you. Um, do you want to tell us where you can, where we can find that show and also you in general, uh, in the world? You can find, are you afraid of the dark universe anywhere you find podcasts, wherever you're listening to this, you can find it there. Uh, you can find us on social media at Dark Universe Pod. That's pretty much any social media that exists except for TikTok because we're old and we're afraid to use TikTok for that. Dalton's not. Dalton's actually a TikTok. Uh, t- uh, Dalton, my co-host, is the is the person behind uh, the B69s, the uh, parody music group that does various pop songs in the style of B52s that goes viral occasionally. So they're actually fine with TikTok. It's me who who can't use it because I I, I don't want to brush my hair or do my face. So. Uh, but yeah, Dark Universe Pod, and you can find me, Dylan Roth, at social on on, uh, on Twitter and Blue Sky at at Dylan Roth. That's D Y L A N R O T H, spelled Dylan like Bob, Roth like David Lee. And uh, I write for Observer, and Polygon, and Looper, and Digital Trends. And uh, check me out. All right. And speaking of making highlight reels, I can't wait to make a highlight reel for this episode and the next episode where we'll be spending time not talking about Gem and the Holograms. Amber, what are we actually going to talk about next week? Next week we are going to be uh, continuing our Star Trek 3 parter with another special guest um, who I uh, haven't figured out who it's going to be yet. Um, uh, but more more Star Trek next, next week and also the week after that. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, our theme music is by Kyle Alicia, whose work you can find at hollowrib.bandcamp.com. Um, please give us a like, a comment, a rating, whatever else it is you do, and drop by our merch store, um, where uh, we will be selling uh, a DVD copies of Cloud Atlas <laughs> by the... Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, uh, I don't think I have anything else. Um, uh, uh, bye! Love you, bye!